them to. And we'll have four times of preaching to them, four times of open God's word, and encourage them around this, around this thought of Genesis 17, 1, I am the Almighty God. And I think I'm looking forward to it, and I know the preachers are looking forward to it. We'll have a fun time of games, and there'll, there'll be some registration if you go to the missions hallway. My wife will be there. If you haven't registered yet, please do so. Third through seventh grade, they'll get a T-shirt as well. We have made up for that. Uh, $65 a, uh, a, camp or a, a child if they'd like to come. And if you'd like to sponsor a kid to help out with that, uh, we don't want money to be, an, to be a reason why you don't come. All right, so if you have children, they want to come, and you don't have the money, you come see me and let me know. And we always have folks that are generous to give in that way, and we want to make sure that they're able to participate as best we can. Luke chapter number 11, uh, we're going to read just the first uh, 13 verses of Luke chapter number 11, and, uh, and we'll get into our message this morning. The Bible says in verse number 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying, talking about Christ, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased... One of his disciples said unto him, I don't know which one. I'm thinking maybe it was Peter. It could have been James. I don't know. Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And when he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father... Will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Don't, don't get disturbed by that word evil. It's talking about temporal, carnal, this fleshly, worldly. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. The title of the message this morning is The Opportunity of the Importunity. The Opportunity of the Importunity. That word importunity just simply means a pressing solicitation, an urgent request. The Opportunity of the Importunity. And I'll make this statement. Our Heavenly Father has all that we need. He has all that we need if we'll just simply ask. Let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the message this morning. Father, we love you. My, how our hearts have been stirred so much, not just by good music, not just by beautiful voices, but Lord, the message that those beautiful voices and that music was singing and playing, the truth to know that we can be born again, to know that sin does not have dominion over us, to know that we can come before you and bow our knee in humble prayer and, and helplessness and call upon you. To know that you are acquainted with our griefs. To know that you have a care. You care for every soul that's in this room here today. 
Father, we're encouraged by that. So, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds this morning. And God, that you would take the message you put upon my heart. Uh, Lord, help me just to settle my nerves. Help me, God, just to preach what you'd have me to preach. And nothing more and nothing less. And we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The opportunity of the importunity. In, in, in essence, we could look at this, and I, I kind of jotted down in my notes as I was preparing. Uh, A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. A-S-K to G-F-O, to give, to, um, uh, to find, and then to be opened. A-S-K to G-F-O. This is interesting because I, we, we come across this text, and if, if, if we look at it, we, we recognize, I think, a, a very unique time in the life of the disciples, a very unique time in their lives. I might call this a next step moment in their life. A next step moment in their life. I'm encouraged because they look at Christ and they see something in his life. They see something in his life and they say, we want that. We want to be like more like Christ. We, we want to experience what, 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 what Christ is experiencing. And, and, they come, and they come to Christ as the source and they ask him to teach us. Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting. We'll take note here. It's interesting. They didn't say, they didn't say Lord, teach us to preach. He said, teach us to pray. Luke had already, he already taken note of Jesus' prayer life. And and many times in Jesus' earthly ministry, when ministry got busy, that's when Jesus spent more time in prayer. We we notice here in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, after the miracle of the fishes on Peter's boat, and, uh, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Before calling the 12 disciples and preaching the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, verse 12, again, these are, these are observations of, of Luke. Before calling the 12 disciples and preaching the Sermon on the Mount, in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, it came to pass in those days that he went into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. After feeding the 5,000, chapter 9, verse number 18, and it came to pass as, uh, as he was alone praying. Before the Mount of Transfi- Transfiguration, chapter 9, verse 28, he took Peter and James and John and he went up into a mountain to pray. The Pharisees had even taken notice of this. They had already called out Jesus', Jesus disciples for a lack of prayer. And in chapter 5, verse number 33, Jesus had called Matthew. He's sitting down and he's having dinner. They're, they're, they're uh, uh, railing on Jesus. They're complaining. They're saying who he's sitting with and all these types of things. And they said in chapter 5, verse 33, And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. They sound like a bunch of Baptists. They eat and drink. Oh, they're pretty good at that, but they're lacking in their prayer life. What's going on? And I think it's interesting because we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse into the life of, of faithful, a faithful men who had a desire to please the Lord, but they recognized that something was lacking. They recognized that they, they needed to have a deeper walk with the Lord. They, they recognized that they needed to have a deeper relationship with the Lord. Matter of fact, this is what Jesus would pray about in John chapter 17. Jesus' very prayers, very words in John chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, he prayed for unity, that they would be one as we are one. According, this is interesting. According to, turn your page to Luke chapter number 9. Look in, look in Luke chapter 9, in verse number, in verse number 1. Then called the disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Now think about this. They already have power and authority. If you look in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is commissioning the 70 disciples to go out in two by two, and they have power to heal diseases. The disciples have already demonstrated great, great steps of faith in their life. 
It's evident in their life. You can see it on the outward side. They have, they have power and authority over, over demons. They, they have power and authority to, to preach. They have power and authority to heal. But yet they found something that was lacking. They recognize, hey, there's a next step in my life that I need. Here's what we do, and many times in Christendom today, when we think about next step, we think of the outward. We think of, okay, next step means baptism. Next step means uh, uh, giving faithfully to tithe and missions. Next step means uh, serving in ministry. Next step means joining the choir. Next step means, and we think of these outward things. Those things are not bad. But the disciples already had those outward things, if if you understand what I'm saying. They recognize there's a deficiency here. There's something on the inner man that is falling short. We need to pray. We need God, we need you. We, 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 recognize, we recognize that we cannot do this without you. They see Jesus' prayer life, and they see what's lacking in their own life. It's no wonder that James would talk about the Word of God as the perfect law of liberty. When we look at the law of liberty, when we look at Christ, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We look at Christ, and we see, we see our brokenness. We see our ineptness to do the things that God would have us to do. Notice with me in verse number 2, the pattern of prayer. Verse 2, down through verse number 4, the pattern of prayer. When you pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, uh, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We see the pattern of prayer. Number one, we recognize here this is worshipful adoration of our Heavenly Father. God, we want to praise you. We want to thank you for who you are. All the songs that we just sang as a congregation, all the songs we heard, the choir and the special music, Lord, we just want to, we just want to humbly just, just worship uh, you, and we want to adore you, our Heavenly Father. We're seeking his will on earth as it is in heaven. That, that, means, that means in my own life, I want, I want to live a little bit of heaven down here on this earth. I, I want to demonstrate that, that my life is a pattern of what, of what heaven may be like at some point. I know we're filled with sin. I, I know that and until we get to heaven, we'll not be perfect without sin. I understand that. But that's no excuse to live like heaven on earth. Matter of fact, that's, what the, that's the model that Jesus would pray. He would pray, hey, listen, pray, pray that as God's will is done as heaven, that it would also be done in earth as well. There's, and also there's an acknowledgement here of a daily dependence upon, upon God. My, how we get so comfortable, we get so familiar with the, with the routines of life, we just get used to doing things without seeking the Lord. We get used to doing things without, without leaning upon God. God, I need to make a decision here. Lord, I need your help here. I want to depend upon you. We see here that there's also seeking forgiveness of sin in our own lives as we seek to forgive others. Isn't it amazing how quick we are to want forgiveness in our own hearts and lives but yet we withhold it from those who desperately need it in our lives. They desperately need it. That's, what, that's the model that Jesus gives to us here. And finally, here at the close of the, of the, the model prayer that's given, it's to, be, it's to be guided through this life. It's to be guided by God. Now, according to Matthew chapter 6, this, this would have been, I believe, the second time that Jesus gave this lesson. So why do you say that? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, the, it's recorded within the Sermon on the Mount. When we read through Luke, we've already addressed the Sermon on the Mount. That's, uh, I think, in chapter 5 or 6. He's going through the Beatitudes. That's already, that's already been done. I don't believe this is on the, I believe this is the second time. And I, we'll, we'll explain that here in a little bit. And I think it'll make sense. 
And, and, and in Matthew chapter six, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus said, "But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they make that ye shall be heard for their much, for they think that they shall be heard for their much fair, uh, for their much speaking." It goes on to say in chapter six, verse number nine, "After this manner pray ye." That, that phrase, "After this manner pray ye," means in, in this way, on this fashion. When Jesus gave this model prayer, it was never meant to be something, some type of vain repetition that, that somehow would gain or earn favor with God and with man. It's a model. It's an example. If you want to look at Jesus' prayer, we look at John chapter 17, where Jesus looked up and he's praying up to heaven. That's where we're included. That's where Christ has prayed for us. But this, this becomes a model, something that, that, that we can simulate in our own prayer life. And I submit to you this morning that this pattern of prayer is still a viable pattern for you and I to follow today. I want you just to stop for a moment and think about this. What would your life be like? What would your day-to-day life be like if we followed this model of prayer? If we began our day, even throughout our day, with a humble adoration and worshipful heart to the Lord Jesus Christ for all that he's done. If we went through our day, began our day and went through our day of seeking God's will and seeking to live like heaven on this earth in this present time. What would it be like if we, if we uh, governed our life in such a way that we wanted to stand in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with our fellow man every day throughout the day? You almost get the sense that's kind of what God expected the Christian life to be like. It's no wonder that Jesus would give us this model. It's no wonder that he would, he would take his disciples. Listen, they missed it the first time. I, I think about, a, I think about a, a marathon runner. They're running, um, and, and they're, they're, they're getting the water stations. You know, they have all the... I, I've never been to a marathon, but I've seen some funny uh, videos of this. And they're trying to get a, a glass of water while they're running. And there's a bunch of people all trying to go at the same time. And, and you, you miss the first... Well, just keep going. You'll catch... Hopefully, somebody will catch you. And I think about the disciples. In many ways, in, many ways in ministry, they're running a marathon, they're busy, they're coming, they're going, they're ministering, they're serving. There's nothing wrong with that. But in many ways, they miss this the first time. They miss it. And I wonder just how many times as, as Jesus is ministering with them, when he went alone into prayer, when he spent time with the Heavenly Father, had they gone to the Heavenly Father, things may have been a little bit different. Maybe there would have been just a little bit less infighting with them. Maybe just a little bit less competition of who's going to sit where in the kingdom of heaven. They missed it. And Jesus patiently gives them an opportunity here, a second chance, if you will, kind of like the, the guy at the end of the line. You miss everybody else. There's finally one last person that gives you that cup of water while you're running. We think about it, and if we're not careful, if you and I are not careful, we, like the disciples, can miss the message that God has for us. Please, please don't tune this out. I know you, as soon as you came to the text, oh, this is the Lord's Prayer. We know we're not Catholics. We don't pray. We know what's about. Everybody knows all that. No, no, hang on. There's something here that God has for us. When we look at the context, God is trying to teach us an invaluable lesson, I believe, with all of my heart, that'll change the course of your life as a believer, that'll change the course of your life in your home, that can change the course of life in ministry here at the Cleveland Baptist Church, that that we'll have a closer walk with the Lord. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it. It'll go in one ear and right out the other. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So before we look at our second point, we looked at the pattern of prayer. Can we all just agree this morning, as believers, if you're here today, you trust in Christ as your Savior, can you believe this morning, can you agree with me this morning, that if you and I would implement this model prayer, this attitude in our heart, more, more importantly, followed by the actions that go with it to match it. If we implemented that in our hearts and lives today, that our walk with the Lord would be much better than what it is. Can we all agree on that? 
We got about 10 of you. All right. Let's do a uh, raising of the... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I think you would all agree. I don't have to belabor this point. I think you would recognize that God has a desire that we would live the victorious Christian life. And I submit to you that this model prayer helps put some framework in place so that we can function in this capacity. But notice uh, number two here, the parable about prayer. It's like, okay, they missed it the first time. It's included in the Sermon on the Mount. There was a lot in many ways. In many ways, I mean, I don't know how long it took our pastor to preach through that. Maybe, maybe four or five weeks. That was in one setting to the disciples. In many ways, that was like taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. So Jesus takes some time here, and he, and he gives this the same model, a similar model, not the exact word for word. Again, that's another proof text as why Christ would not want us to repeat it word for word. He gives the same, the same model. But then he follows up with a parable to kind of help, help uh, to seed it into our hearts. And we look at this parable, we recognize that there's a, there's a great need for the request. There's a great need for the request. The man recognizes, hey, my friend has come from out of town. I didn't know they were coming. Didn't know what time they were going to hear. Isn't it funny how great needs always come at the worst time? Great needs always come at the worst time, whether it be financially, whether it be in some type of relationship. But they recognize, hey, listen, there's something that I lack today. There's something that I lack. My friend is coming, and according to to the the culture of that time, they would have put food on. They would have given him some substance, in many ways, hopefully to get him on the road on to the next stop. All right, so, so they're coming, and I have no bread. And I can't go to a shop. I can't buy it. It's too late to bake it. I don't have it. I recognize there's a great need, and I don't have it. I'm going to go to one that does have it. And when, when that need comes, it's a, it's, this is not a selfish need. James chapter 4, verse number 2, it says here at the end of the verse, you have not because you ask not. He goes on to say, verse 3, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. So James rebukes some of the, some of the early Christians and said, listen, you're, you, there's things that you need that you're not asking, and that's why you don't have it. Then there's things you don't have because you're asking for the wrong reasons. You want to consume it upon your own lust. Well, that's not the case here. That's not what's going on here. The man recognizes, I'm in a very inadequate way, I cannot fulfill this need. There's a great need, and I need to fulfill it. I'm going to go, excuse me, I'm going to go to the source, and I'm going to fill it. Because of the importunity, he, bring, he brings his need with urgency. Again, the importunity. That, again, that's a, it's, a, it's a pressing solicitation. It's an urgent request. Because of the importunity, the friend will give him, watch this, he'll give him all that he needs. Did you catch that? Uh, look at, um, look at uh, verse number 8. Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him. But it doesn't stop there. It says, as many as he needeth. So it gives the implication there that, listen, if you need more than three, by chance, it is quite possible that more people show up than you expected. So as much as you need, I have it. You kind of get the idea that maybe he's knocked on the baker's door. Maybe that's why he has all this bread. He says that he, he, it's an unlimited resource. I have exactly what you need for the, for the job at hand. And, and, and now, now we tie this into the application part of the parable where Jesus says, he says to the disciples, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. As I was preparing the message, I, I heard a very familiar voice in my mind. It sounded a lot like my grandmother. When she would often say, the good Lord helps those who helps themselves. Does that sound familiar? Did, you, did your grandma say that to you too? 
Ask, and it shall be given. It's there. Just ask. Seek. It's there. You'll find it. Knock. It'll be, it's there. It'll be open to you. But there's, some, there's something that we need to participate in this. I'm reminded of a story of two fishermen. They're walking along the shoreline, and they, they see a man in a boat, and, and it appears that the boat is sinking. It looks like the man has his hands folded. They're not really sure exactly what's going on. And one man calls out. and goes, hey, are you okay? Do you need something? He said, no, I'm fine. My boat is sinking, but I'm praying to God to help me. He says, okay. He goes, while you're praying, why don't you go ahead and row to shore? There's some things that we can be doing along the way to help this out. Please understand, make no mistake about it, that we don't work for our salvation. God gives this. This is the wonderful work of Christ, the gift of Christ that's made possible through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't earn our salvation. But James would give an admonition to the believers in James chapter 4. Will you turn there for me? That'll give you a chance to get a drink of water, all right? Turn there in James chapter number 4. I want you to look at these verses. They kind of give you an idea of really the responsibility uh, to the believer. James chapter number four, and if you're in the habit of marking your Bible, <clears throat> you may want to mark some of these words. The, uh, the epistle of James is written to believers. Look at verse number, uh, verse number uh, seven. It says here, submit yourselves therefore to God. It's a responsibility on us. We have to submit. We have to yield. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, a responsibility on us to resist the devil. If we don't submit, if we don't resist the devil, then, then he's, he's, he's right in our backyard. He goes on to say in verse number 8, draw nigh to God. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a man catch fish that didn't throw a line in the water? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. This is some of those if-then statements. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, there's some responsibility for us. Again, make no mistake about it. It's Christ that provides the victorious Christian life, but it's made possible by living in the, in the, in the truth of that, living in light of the gift that God has given, living in light of, of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God. He, he giveth us the victory through, through the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples are, are asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. He's already given them this lesson once, and now he's, he's given just a little bit more to the lesson to make sure that they get it, to understand what it means to pray. You recognize your helplessness, and you're coming to the Lord for the right reasons. He finishes here in, in our text. He gives some practical truth about prayer, followed by a promise of prayer. If we know when and how to give good that which is good and right to our children, then how much more? How much more is God going to know when and how to give what is good and right to us? Look at verse number 11. If ye then, uh, if a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give a fish for a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he offer him a, a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. The practical truth here is that God is always, God always knows what we, what we need, just how much we need it and when we need it. If we'll just simply come to him. If we'll just simply come to him. He finishes here with, with a promise. This is interesting. He says here, this is a promise. This is a future tense. He says, uh, for the Father will give the Holy Spirit to them. Now this, is already, this has already been fulfilled in Scripture. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As believers today, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. We have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 
If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body of, is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? Galatians chapter 4, uh, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, and I submit to you that the the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in in many ways, enables us to live out the model prayer that that Jesus gives. We can't do that in our own strength. Oh, we might be able to get by with it for a while. We might be able to manufacture some type of outward display of service, some outward display of, of actions. And the disciples recognize hey, there's a deficiency in our walk with the Lord. Lord, teach us to pray. They had already been serving. They'd already done great things that you and I will never do. We'll never be able to cast out a demon. We'll never be able to heal someone. But yet they recognize their need for prayer. You see, it's through the Holy Spirit of God that we can, we can truth, in, in, in truth, we can worship and adore Him as our Heavenly Father. It's through the aid of the Holy Spirit that we seek His will and that we live out this life in, 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 in this present day today. It's through the aid of the Holy Spirit that, that we recognize our dependence upon Him. We need Him. It's through the aid of the Holy Spirit that we recognize there's sin in our heart. We need to be cleansed. It's through the aid of the Holy Spirit and only by the, the aid of the Holy Spirit that we can truly forgive others. Oh, come on. You know what it's like to not truly forgive someone. I can't be the only person here that says, oh, no, it's fine, it's okay. Yeah. Come on. It's through the aid of the Holy Spirit that we truly recognize, hey, I've been wronged here. They were out of line. They said something. They did something that was hurtful and embarrassing. It was sinful. And they've come to me and they forgive, and I'm not ready to forgive. But the Holy Spirit of God says, yes, you can, and you will, and you can. Just a thought on forgiveness. Many will say that we, we are to forgive the way, the way God forgave. And oftentimes, we'll hear these phrases, and we grow up with them, and we just kind of, uh, they assimilate into our doctrine. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Well, that's contrary to the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that God forgives and forget. It says that in Isaiah, I believe it's 43, 7, that God chooses not to remember. There's a difference there. He chooses not to remember. God's omnipotent. He's omniscient. How could, how could he ever forget something? No, no, he chooses not to remember. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. They said embarrassing things to me. They embarrassed me in front of my church family. They embarrassed me at the school. They embarrassed me on the job site. Whatever the case might be, you can't, you can't forget that. And all of a sudden, if we think we have to forgive and forget, we say, you know, this, this forgiveness thing is impossible. It's hocus pocus. I don't know if I can say that. It's hocus pocus. It doesn't work. Well, because you're going about it the wrong way. And you're right. It is hocus pocus when we go about it that way. I don't know if that's an offensive word or not. It's clearly not in my notes, all right? So the difference is, the difference is now I choose not to remember. I've been wronged. They've done something. They've said something. They're my brother and sister in Christ. They've come to me. I'm going to forgive them the way God forgives. I choose not to remember. Oh, you mark it down. You go around the corner. Something's going to come up. It's going to remind you. No, 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 no. I choose not to remember. I've forgiven them. 
I, I choose not to remember. And the more times I put my hand up and I say I choose not to remember, the less times those times keep, keep creep, uh, creeping back in. You see, that doesn't, listen to me, that does not function in our lives without the aid of the Holy Spirit. God, we need you. And that's what Jesus says here. He gives him the model prayer. He gives him the parable. But he says, here's the promise. The Holy Spirit will help you to do these things. That's what we have for us here today. So what does the Spirit-led prayer life look like for us this morning? How can we take this passage of Scripture and apply it to our own hearts and lives? We recognize, I think first we have to recognize that Jesus is leading his disciples in a very intimate way. He's leading them into a Spirit-led prayer life. Turn your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5, very quickly here, some things that you and I can do in the realm of our spirit-led prayer life. Number one, we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under law. So number one, if you and I can live the Spirit-led prayer life, we have to recognize, we have to recognize to be yielding to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 16. We must walk in the Spirit. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse number 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. All of this is incumbent upon us confessing sin. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Turn over very quickly to Romans chapter number 6. In, the, in this area of confessing sin. I want to live the, the Spirit-led prayer life. I want to take the things that, that Christ has, has modeled in that, in that pattern of prayer and recognizing in the, in the parable of that prayer the great truth that God has unlimited resources for what He has called me to do. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Look at verse number 18. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. See, the opportunity of the importunity the opportunity of the opportunity is that we have a closer walk with God. And that each and every day we live the victorious Christian life because God gives us everything we need to please Him in this life if we will just simply ask Him through the aid of the Holy Spirit. Maybe. Maybe you're sitting here and your next step is not really a next step at all. Maybe it's a first step because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior You've never repented and confessed your belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that he, he died and He was buried and that He rose again. You've never called upon Him. You've never confessed Him as Savior. We invite you today, in just a few moments, we're going to have an invitation. We invite you today to take the first step. Take that first step of faith and be born again. To the believer today, whether you're a member of Cleveland Baptist Church or not, whatever your next step is, you may, you may have come in here thinking, okay, this is my next step. 
This is something I know I need to work on. Maybe it's faithful attendance, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Maybe, maybe it's giving tithes and offerings, serving in our bus ministry. My, how our bus ministry needs help. We need workers in our bus ministry. There, there's a harvest out there. There are doors that are, not, doors that are open to us that will talk to us. You go in some neighborhoods, and folks don't want to talk to you. Many of the neighborhoods that, that we knock on for our, for our bus ministry, they're open and they're ready to hear. We need bus workers. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been thinking your next step is teaching or, or helping in a children's class. These are all great next steps. But will you, like me, will you, will you let your next step be guided by the Spirit of God as you draw close to Him in prayer and as you depend upon Him? as you're aided through the Holy Spirit to, to uh, have worshipful adoration of our Heavenly Father and, and, and seeking His will on, on, on this earth as it is in heaven and acknowledging a daily dependence upon God, seeking forgiveness in our own lives and, and seeking to forgive others? Will you, like me, take this next step of, of just depending upon the Lord to, to help us to be guided day by day through His Spirit, through this life? Prayer is not just simply asking for whatever we want and getting it. Dr. O. Halsby, in his book titled Prayer, had this to say, nothing, nothing, so further, excuse me, nothing so furthers our prayer life as the feeling of our own helplessness. God, I need you. There's a great need. There's a deficiency. Lord, I need you. To the doubter this morning, I know you're here. I've been there. Oh, that sounds good. That doesn't work. Been there, done that. Prayed those prayers. Tried that in my marriage. I tried that with addiction. I tried that with my children. I tried that at the job site. I tried it with my finances. I tried it with my health. I tried it with anything. It's just that, that, that what you fill in the blank. There's, there's doubters in the room this morning. You look at this text and you say, well, that, okay, been there, done that. It, it just doesn't work. Maybe, just maybe, as we close, maybe you're not seeing the victory that God has promised you because you're only addressing some of the fruit sins of your life. I, I'm going to try to demonstrate this if I can. Maybe, maybe you've gone through the, the motion, you've gone through the, the actions of, oh, I need to pick that up too. Maybe you've gone through the motions of just confessing some fruit sins. And you haven't really addressed the, the root sins. I'm convinced. I see it now. It's, it's so plain. I see it in my own life. The devil plays the long game. He, he is content with you getting a little bit of victory. He's content. He, listen, we, we, have, we have the fruit sins that come off. and uh, they're, they're evidenced in our life. Everybody can see them. Uh, their anger, uh, their uh, frustration, uh, you know, uh, 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 depression, uh, you know, uh, lust, they, 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 whatever the case might be. Envy, jealousy, they're evident. And the devil's content with you and I coming down to this altar or sitting in your pew and say, God, forgive me for that. And God does. He forgives. He's forgiven. And then, and then we walk out of here and two weeks later or maybe two hours later, boop, there's that sin again. Well, that, that must not have worked. Because if it worked, why do I still struggle with this? And many look at this and they say, you know, that whole spirit-led life, I already tried that with my family. I already tried that in my marriage. 
already tried that in my finance. I already tried that in my health. I already tried that in my Christian life. It just doesn't work. And I, I submit to you today that maybe, maybe there are some root sins underneath, some sins of pride and unbelief that have not been confessed and forsaken. And once we address those, we'll see less of these. Not that they won't be there because we live in this incursed world. My, my challenge to you today, to the doubters today, let's get, let's get real with the Lord. Let's get below the surface. I'm not trying to have a, a you know, warm and fuzzy moment with you here. I am trying to tell you, let's get, let's get real with God. Let's get below the surface. Let's do business with the Lord. Lord, I'm tired of this anger coming up in my life. And I recognize that anger is a fruit sin of pride. I don't like the way things are going, so I'm going to be angry. I'm going to make sure everybody knows it. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling in this area of addiction, and I'm not happy with it. And I'm tired, of, I'm tired of bringing it to you and not giving victory over it. And that spirit-led life is good for everybody, but it's not working for me. Maybe it's an area of unbelief. With God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's true. That's in the Bible. God, I need to bring this to you. It's lust. Lord, it just keeps coming back in my heart and my life. It's, it's ruining my marriage. It's ruining my testimony, my walk with God. And I'm tired of confessing. I'm tired of coming down and addressing it and coming back and having to do with it again. Well, maybe we address the pride issue. You're wanting something that you should not have. That's pride. You're wanting something that God is not ready for you to have. That's to be enjoyed within the confines of your marriage between one man and one woman. That's pride. You don't want to wait. That's pride. See, we confess the fruit sins. And my fear is we've, got, we've gotten comfortable doing this. This is easy. We do it at camp. We do it at a revival meeting. We do it at prayer times. I submit to you today, God wants us to get below the surface. He's coming to his disciples. The disciples have recognized, Lord, Lord, there's something lacking in our hearts and our lives. There's something lacking. We want to be more like Christ. I'm so encouraged by the disciples wanting to take this next step. I'm so encouraged that they recognize their dependence upon the Lord. I'm so encouraged that they've come to the source. They've come to the right place. And Jesus gives them another lesson. He gives them another lesson of prayer. And he, and he knits it in just a little bit deeper in the heart with a parable and a practical truth and a promise of the Holy Spirit to aid them in that way. Can I submit to you today that we, we need God's help? We need God's help to live the Christian life. I'm sick and tired of trying to live the Christian life in my own strength. God, I need your help today. Lord, I need your spirit. Good roots produce good fruit. Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, and so on. Bad roots will produce bad fruit. Bad roots of pride and unbelief. I want to do the invitation a little bit different today.